7. This is our 24th lesson in the 119th Psalm. And uh, we crossed the halfway point about uh, a month ago, and now we're moving on through here. Uh, this is the meme or the M stroke, eight verses, number 13 in our series. And let's just read through as, as we dig into God's word. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now as we read this set of eight verses, and by the way, Brother Zach, could you pull down number two on the board there? The Just number two on the board, the the monitor here on the platform. If you could do that, thank you. Um, as we read through these verses, we need to take just a moment and go back here and catch the flow. We start in verse 81 is where we'll go back to. This is the bottom uh, of the psalm. Uh, this is the, the lowest point in the life of the psalmist thus far. I mean... We can go back further to verse 25, uh, as it seems that he was a young man. And, and, but in verse uh, 80, the cough stroke, he says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation. Mine eyes fail, verse 82. Verse 83, for I am become like a bottle in the smoke. Verse 84, how many are the days of thy servant? He's, he's going through and he's saying, listen, I, I'm at the end of my rope. How many of you have ever been there? And somebody forgot to tie a knot. Uh, that is not the good place to be now, is it? And uh, yet we get right to the end of that stroke in verse 89, where we were for the last two weeks, in our last two lessons here. It says, forever, O Lord... Thy word is settled in heaven. Now man will always argue about God's word, but God doesn't argue about God's word. Amen. He has got it settled. He knows what he said, and he'll tell you what, you, what he said if you'll just open up the pages of the Bible and simply read it. I remember, actually I was standing in line to graduate Bible college. We were having our practice and uh, one of the students in front of me looked back and said, how did you like Greek? I said, I didn't take it. Why not? I said, because the professor doesn't believe the Bible. That's why I didn't take it. How can you understand your Bible then? Uh, I said, I uh, maybe a good English dictionary. Uh, maybe I just ought to read it a little bit. I said, you didn't get enough Greek in that class. 
to even use the Greek helps that are out there on the bookshelf. And I said, all you're doing is reading what someone else said about the language. Why don't you study the Word of God for yourself? Made a real friend right there, I tell you. You see, we can spend the rest of our life arguing about which word belongs where, how, and, and how this word was used here and, and all of these things. And most of it is just the imagination of some perverted professor that didn't have anything else to do but dream up something new for people to argue about. Read the words. He says they're settled. Now, the reason why they're settled in heaven is because man will always argue. We've got some new arguments going on in the Montoro household since the three oldest have left for Bible college. Who's going to get what bed and who's going to have what position in the room? And this shelf that used to belong to Sarah now belongs to me and that's mine. And when you get it all finished, and you say, there, it's all settled. What happens? He took mine. And it starts all over again now, doesn't it? I'll tell you what. I'm glad God is not a man. Amen? God is God. His word is settled. And the greatest problems that the life of the psalmist gives here it are answered in the words of God. And we come here to verse 97 as he starts this, and he starts with, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, have you ever met somebody in love? They sit there at the college library and across the table. Now, that's not love, but that's what people think love is. You want me to tell you what real love is? Is when the person wakes up in the same room, in the same bed 22 years later with 12 kids hanging around. That, that starts qualifying for love, amen? Do you see the difference? Love is not something that is just an emotion. Love demands action. And when you say you love God's word, is it reflected in the way that you walk? It says, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now let's just take a minute here, and, and this is not exhaustive, but I want you to go back to verse 18. And we're just going to run through some of these verses. Verse 18, and again, let's just pick up verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 2, blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. These two verses here, verses 1 and 2, are the summary, are, are the context for the entire psalm. We might say that this 
is the prayer journal of the psalmist. More than likely, it appears that he wrote each one of these psalms as he moved through life and, and collected them and put them together. Most people believe that David wrote this psalm. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you want to follow the life of David, you can follow his life in the ups and downs and twists and turns that the psalm takes. It's, a, it's an interesting journey, but we are not for sure it was David because you can make many of the same comparisons to the life of Daniel. You might could make some of the same comparisons to the life of Moses. It's, it's, there, those are just some of the uh, uh, different people that have been offered as the author of this psalm. But this is what we're working on. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And we look at verse 18. It says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Look at verse 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Verse 34. Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Verse 47. And I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. Let's go on to verse 50. It says, this is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Verse 54, thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Verse 61, the bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. Verse 68, thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Verse 72, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Do you see how this is building and just continues to build through the psalm? He says, this is something I love. I love God's law. Now, I can't tell you how many people over the years have said, oh, pastor, we just love the Bible. And I just want to go, oh, really? And, uh, oh, yes. Now, we don't go to church, and we don't do this, and we don't do that, and uh, we really don't believe anything it says, but boy, I'll tell you what, we love the Bible. Wish I had a dollar for every one. I do. I'd be a rich man. You see, do you remember our president used to carry one of these around? Going back a couple there, some guy named Bill. Um, no one says they hate the Bible. But does your life reflect what the Bible says? How many of you like vacations? I like vacations. I like taking a break. But let me ask you, what is your escape? What, where do you go when you've got to have a break? When, I mean, the tension just builds and your stomach starts twisting up and 
You just have to sit there. Where do you go for a break? I had a guy tell me one. He says, I take many vacations. I says, how do you do that? He says, well, I just close my eyes and think of the beach and think of the waves. And he says, pretty soon I can hear the surf pounding. And all of a sudden, he says, I'm 100 miles away, and I'm just thinking of all the quiet things that are there. I said, how do you get away with that? Brother Franz isn't here. He's on vacation. That's why he said, I'm a school teacher. That's how I do it. I'm going, how do you teach class and take a break and ignore your students? I said, that doesn't make sense. Now, Brother Franz didn't say that. Don't you go quoting me. Brother Franz doesn't teach like that. But this, this person said they were a teacher and they would just close their eyes and sit behind their desk and imagine that they were a hundred miles away or whatever. But let me, let me just ask you a question. Is that fantasy land or what? When you have to retreat to a world of fantasy, shouldn't that scare you? Shouldn't that make you just a little nervous? Uh, if it doesn't, let me tell you why. Because we have special floors in hospitals that are for people who retreat to a world of fantasy rather than live in reality. It's not a nice place. Trust me, you don't want to go there, even though there's lots of nice people there who will take care of you. You don't want to retreat to fantasy. Here's where the psalmist said, he said, when I need a retreat, when I need a break from life, he said, I'm thinking about God's word. Now, as I was preparing this, that, that shook me up a little bit. Because it's easy for all of us to just figure out different things that relax us, that calm us down. The, the psalmist here is, says, listen, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. When I turn my brain off, when I shift into neutral, as they say, scripture starts pouring out. Now, how many of you would like to be there? Wouldn't that be a great place to be? You say, how do you get there? Well, you got to stuff your soul so much full of Bible. Well, what's that mean? Well, it might mean there's not so much time for TV anymore. It might mean that there's not so much time for all of these other things that we pursue. In my inward thoughts, when I stop, when I think, when I speak in my heart, the psalmist says, God's words are coming out. Now, let me challenge you that that is spiritual maturity. If this psalm is reflective of the life of David, David's life was never at a point where he was absent from great trials and great struggles even in the last few years uh, of his reign. There were things 
that were done, things that David did to bring God's disfavor not only on him, but upon the entire nation of Israel. And he says, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, the next three verses need to be taken together or, or you'll get mixed up. And that's what, again, the, the Hebrew poetry here, they either bounce thoughts off each other or use them to build. And the next three verses are going to build on this first one here. It says, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. Look at verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Every college student prays for that one. Verse 100. I understand more than the ancients. <coughs> now you might be asking, why is it so important to be wiser than his enemies? How many of you remember when we dealt with the word ashamed? He said, let me not be ashamed. Who was ashamed in the valley of Elah? His name was Goliath. David wasn't ashamed. Goliath was. Of course, he was a little too dead to feel very much ashamed by the time it was over. But Goliath's family and the Philistine army went home ashamed that a little boy could come out there and take care of a nine-foot-six giant. And David said, listen, I have more understanding than my enemies. Why? If David had not gotten more understanding than his enemies, David would have been dead. Saul was seeking to kill David. The Philistines were seeking to do David in when he became king. Even his own counselor, Ahithophel, his dearest friend and his closest confidant, later turned against him and sought to destroy David. Now, remember, David did some real dumb things early on. Remember when he fled from Saul and he stopped at, at Nob at Ahimelech the priest and got Goliath's sword and showed up at the city of Gath wearing Goliath's sword. That was Goliath's hometown. Do you think that was massively intelligent on David's part? I mean, that was about the dumbest thing that he could possibly have done. But let me tell you, David didn't stay that way, now did he? God protected him. God made him. And those groups, I like to call them the mighty losers, became the mighty men as they molded together and learned to follow David. And he says, Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Now, if you're not careful, you're going to think that David's enemies were ever with him, but that's not the flow of the, of the psalm here, the way the verses go. Verse 97, the second phrase says, It is my meditation all the day, thy laws, for they are ever with me, thy laws, for thy testimonies are my meditation, verse 99, and verse 100 says, because I keep thy precepts. Do you see the continuation 
of the back and forth here in the words. And so we don't have to get out a Hebrew lexicon and all of these things. We can just simply understand that the reason David was made wiser than his enemies was because God's commandments were with him. Now, if you have God's commandments with you, what are you doing with them? Obeying them, not disobeying them. And so David said, listen, thou hast made me wiser than mine enemies. I love the story of David at the threshing floors of Keilah. How many remember that story? David's mighty men had just assembled. 400 mighty men. They were in debt. They were in distress. And they were discontented. Doesn't that sound like the absolute best, highest quality fighting men you could find? But that, read chapter 22 of the book of 1 Samuel, that's who came. And someone came and gave David a message and said, the Philistines are robbing the threshing floors of Keilah. And, and David prayed and he went to his men and said, God said, go. And they said, you go, we're not going. He says, we're afraid of Saul. Now we're going to go attack the Philistines. And David went to the uh, Lord again and he said, listen, guys, I'm going by myself because God said, go. If you want to come with me, come ahead. And they followed him trembling. God gave them the victory. And what did the inhabitants of Keilah do to reward Saul? I mean, David and his men, they told Saul, who was seeking to kill him, where David was. And Saul, because of the information that he got from the people that David delivered... Trapped David on the top of a mountain. His soldiers were all the way around the bottom. David and his men could not get out of the trap. And just as Saul was about to close the trap and capture David, a messenger comes running up. The Philistines have invaded the land. Come quickly. Don't you love the way God works? Now, let me ask you a question. Was David smart enough to figure that one out? How did it work? He obeyed what God told him today, and God took care of tomorrow, now didn't he? And he was wiser than his enemies because Saul had David right here. I mean, how many stories have been written about the evil plotter and planner who finally gets the person right in the palm of their hand, and before they can close it, they are delivered one way or another. Isn't that a great storyline? Let me tell you, they're just copying it out of the Bible because David was right there in Saul's hand and God pulled him out. Why? He got where he was obeying the Lord. He was delivered because of his obedience. You're going to get yourself into trouble when you obey God. But you'll have God's promise that he'll get you out. You get yourself into trouble because you did what you chose to do. Let me tell you something. There's no promise that God is just going to wave his magic wand like they do in Cinderella and everything's going to be wonderful. The psalmist here says, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. 
Now that's a pretty arrogant statement now, isn't it? I remember I was just a sophomore in Bible college, a freshman in Bible college. I had read this passage before, but you know how you read sometimes, and it just and we had a student stand up in our uh, uh, Old Testament survey class. Dr. Sewell was standing there, and he read this passage because he wanted to torque the professor. And the professor told him that if he really thought that he already knew more than all of his teachers, that he might choose another Bible college, and he humbly sat down and started paying attention. Uh, but David is making a statement here. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Now, that's pretty interesting. But I want to ask you a question. Who were Samuel's teachers? Wasn't Saul supposed to be one of David's teachers? Saul was the king, was he not? David was to be the next king. Wasn't it Saul that tried to put his armor on David before he went to face the, uh, the giant in the valley of Elah? And David said, listen, uh, I know that this is the way you're supposed to fight a giant in armor. He said, but yours doesn't fit. I don't know what to do with it. And so he put it off of him. There are times in your life where there will be no human that's going to be able to give you the answers that you need. Where are you going to get those answers? Let me tell you, there's only one place in the Word of God. I remember when I called Brother Clayton up and said, they accepted our offer on the synagogue. And he's going, how much? He said, $700,000 plus closing. <coughs> Pete, you need to think about that. Boy, that scared me. But I had another preacher in Ohio say, now listen, don't get so worried about this thing. He said, God gave you 100000 to make your down payment, didn't he? And I said, well, yeah. He said, do you think God's into losing money? I said, no. He said, well, you just trust God and it'll be there. I said, that's easy for you to say. You're not the one that has to have it, amen? But he was 100% right. It was there. You see... And how many times has Brother Horton related the story? Yeah. How many of you remember that one? And uh, I think every time he comes, he has to say something about that. But let's go one step higher. He says, I have more understanding. He says, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Let me ask you, how many of you would like to be wiser than Solomon? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Well, it's real simple. Just obey God's word because Solomon didn't. Solomon died a fool, did he not? Solomon died worshiping false gods. The Bible tells us that he even committed human sacrifice in his debasing of himself and his understanding of who God was. 
And by the way, the answer of the ancients may have worked in their day, but it's not going to work in your day. Noah built an ark. That was the answer. I think it's on Highway 68 as you're driving across the top of the Maryland panhandle there toward West Virginia. There's uh, a big sign that's been alongside the highway ever since the highway was built, as far as I can remember. My wife and I have joked about it every time. The future home of Noah's Ark. And you sit there and you look, and there's a bunch of steel beams, no structure, no blocks, embedded in the ground that looks like they've been set right. And I'm saying, now, I found nowhere mentioned in the Bible that God told Noah to anchor steel beams into concrete on the ground and build his ark that way. But there's a sign there that somebody said, this is the answer, we're going to build Noah's ark. And they've been at it about, well, almost 22 years. We've been driving that road together, and still I haven't seen one bit of improvement. Uh, I've seen some more rust on the beams as I go by. Can I just get political for a minute? Do we have any Ron Paul fans here today? Does anybody even know who he is? He, he's a libertarian. And let me tell you, Ron Paul would be absolute fabulous if he were running for president in 1945. His answers really make sense if you live in 1945. But they're not going to work today. He would destroy this nation if he got his way. And praise God he didn't and won't. You say, well, what is the answer? Uh, the answer is righteousness. But I don't think we're going there. You see, David had more understanding than the ancients because he kept... He kept God's precepts. It's one thing to think about God's word. It's another thing to have God's word forever with you. It's one thing to say, I, I believe the Bible. It's another thing for thy testimonies to be your meditation, your inner speech in your soul. He said, I have more understanding than the ancients because I keep, present tense, today, thy precepts. Look at verse 101. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Now, if you and I were trying to write this today, we'd write it backwards. I try to keep thy word that I might refrain my steps from every evil way. Now, isn't that the way we think about things? Yes, no, maybe. Uh, we think backwards. The Bible says, listen, here's the goal. Keep God's words. If I'm going to keep God's words, then there are certain things that I cannot do. So why do I do them? Because in my heart, 
I'm still speaking the carnal language of my carnal soul. We might term the phrase guardrail Christianity. You know how that is. Here's the rail, there's the precipice, and here's where we live. Oh, man, look at that. Boy, I'm glad I don't live like that. And it only takes a slight breeze to get us off of our balance and tumble over the guardrail because that's really where we want to be. You want to have more understanding than the ancients, hey, it's a daily struggle to keep God's law. God doesn't want us living, leaning over the guardrails of life. Do you remember verse 96? It says, I have seen the end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. He says, I have more freedom walking in God's way, doing God's things, living in accordance to God's word. I have more room to move around than I would if I had everything that my heart said it wanted. The next verse is, oh, how I love thy law. He said, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Go back to verse 94. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. He said, I am not departed from thy judgments. Why? For thou hast taught me. I'll tell you, that verse means a lot more to me now at 46 than it did at 26 when we were just getting the church started. Because I can see a little bit more now than I could 20 years ago. 18 years ago when we started the church, but it says, I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. You know, there will be times when life does not make sense, let me tell you what to do. Grab a hold of God's word. Is it wrong to obey the Bible? Never. It is never wrong to be obedient to the Bible. By the way, if you're being obedient to the Bible, do you have to violate rules or boundaries of authority in other areas of your life? The question is, you don't. You see, when God is in it, he's going to make sure that the authority in your life is right. I remember when I called up my mother the first time and said, I think I found someone to marry. She started crying. She said, you're not, you're not going to get married, are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about it. She said, no! I remember calling her up a few years. I, I listened to my mother, and I listened to other godly counsel. 
and I did not get married. I waited. Then I called her up a few years later, and I said, Mom, I think I found the, the woman that God has for Oh, I'm so happy for you, son. Now, who told my mother those things? You see, when God is working, he puts everything in line now, doesn't he? He says, for thou hast taught me. Don't get out of God's law. Don't depart from God's judgments. It's never, ever right to disobey God's word. Look, look with me. David, I mean, he, if, if David were the writer of this, he certainly had opportunities. And we're going to limit ourselves here to the, to the psalm itself. But look at verse 23. It says, Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy law. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Have you ever had princes speak evil of you? I'm talking about people who are in charge and people who have authority. People whose words and decisions can change your life. That's the idea of who these princes were. And he said, they spoke evil against me. He said, but I meditated in thy word. He said, thy word was my counselors. He didn't try to get even. He didn't try to outthink the thinkers. Don't get caught up in mind games, my friend. Just take your mind out and give it to Jesus Christ, and then nobody else can play with it. Amen? It's just that simple. That's why the psalmist said, they're my meditation. All the day long. Look at verse 57. It didn't end there. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. I entreated thy favor with thy whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Verse 59. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Skip down verse 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation. He's saying, God, I, I haven't seen it. You've promised you would deliver me. I, I'm right, the water's right up to here. I'm starting to suck in water on occasion. I'm not going to make it. My soul's faint. I don't know how long I can hold on. You know, that's when most people give up. God's not done working yet. Look at verse 87. Well, let's get a few of these. For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. Verse 87. They had almost consumed me upon the earth. They didn't get me all the way. They had almost. He said, thou hast taught me. Look at verse 65. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Verse 63. I am a companion to all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. 
that I might learn thy statutes. Now let's go back. He said, I refrain my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Now the last two words here, the last two verses uh, of this trophy says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. How many of you like something sweet? I mean, it's just nice to sit down at the end of a hard day and enjoy a little sweetness. Now, isn't it? But what happens when you enjoy too much sweetness? Can I challenge you? There's nothing sweeter than this word, and there's no calories included. Amen? But you're going to have to allow your taste buds to be changed. That's what the psalmist means. It's one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That's not, say, Lord, I love you, now give me that brand new car that I've been praying for. That's not what it says. You delight yourself in the Lord. And you'll begin to desire the things that God desires. He'll write his desires over top of yours. Don't get the purpose-driven life. Get the Bible-driven life. Don't write your desires over top of God's. Let him write his desires over top of yours. Let it be sweet to your soul to be obedient to the words of God. You see, the psalmist said, through thy precepts I get understanding. Now here's going to upset an awful lot of sweet preaching. Therefore, I hate every false way. Let me tell you, you cannot love this book called the Bible. It cannot be sweet to your taste. And at the same time, enjoy the sweetness of deceit and treachery in this life. You cannot enjoy the beauty and the holiness of God's word and win the rat race, as they say. It's not possible. But you see, my goal is not to win the rat race. I want to, I'm going to go back a couple of verses here. You see, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. If I want to keep God's word, there's some things that I've got to keep out of my life. And if I don't keep those things out of my life, I'm not going to love God's word anymore. That's how preachers flunk out of the ministry. That's how people sit in church for years and all of a sudden disappear. That's how people do not finish well. Because they're trying to keep God's word so they don't sin. No. You turn your feet away from the evil 
because the goal of your life is submission to the words of God. When the goal of your life is the submission to the words of God, let me tell you something. You're going to hate every false way. Now, that's not popular preaching because we're supposed to be all about love. But let me tell you something. If I really love someone, if I really love my children, I'm going to protect them from things that are going to hurt them. Am I not? If I really love God's word, I'm not sitting down trying to hash out a deal with the devil. I tell you, the word compromise is not for the Christian. That was what the Romans offered the Christians in the first century. They said, listen, if you'll just understand, we're, we're willing, if this Jesus is really as great as you say he is, we're willing to put him on the pedestal. We'll take, uh, oh, I can't, know oh, Jupiter. We'll take Jupiter off and we'll put Jesus there. But you can't throw out all the other gods. And the Christian said, you don't understand. If you don't throw out all the other gods, then he's not on the pedestal. Because he is not the first among many. He is the God, period. That's why I don't like Christian radio. Because I turn it on and I hear some guy whitewashing all these passages so that he doesn't offend the people that send him money. That's a false way, my friend. If you don't teach the whole truth of the word of God, there are how many people on their way to hell today because some well-meaning person came up to them and said, all you have to do is get baptized. All you have to do is pray. All you, all you have to do is, is show up at church and be good. Let me tell you, you can do all of those things every day for the rest of your life and never go to heaven. You've got to have a living relationship with the living Savior. And I'll tell you, when someone gets up and says something like, I believe the Bible contains the words of God, I'll tell you what, I get angry. Because this book doesn't contain the words of God. This book is the words of God. There's a difference there. There's a gulf between those two statements. You can drive a fleet of semis through. I'm going to love this book. And if it's sweet to my taste, guess what isn't going to be sweet to my taste? Every false way. When we compromise the words of God, we condone sin in our lives and in other people's. Now listen. The psalmist says, oh, how I love thy word. 
said, it is my meditation all the day. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Tonight, as we take just a few moments in prayer at the end of our time, I want to ask you a few questions. Do you love God's law? If you love God's law, are you stuffing your soul with it? Or are you just trying to keep it so that you don't do anything wrong and get out of the way? It doesn't work that way. The goal of our life is to keep his word. That will make us make decisions every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we ask that you would work in hearts and lives. We ask that you would let us see and understand that your word has some work to do. And that we would root out those things and put God's word in its place. That we would not seek a break or a vacation from our relationship with you, but we would let our relationship with you be our vacation from the world in which we live. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in hearts and lives during this time. In your name we pray. We'll just keep our heads bowed as the piano plays. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If you're not sure about your salvation, we'd love to take the Bible and just open its pages and give you the answers that God has for your soul. God's people said let's stand together seven 